talking about an alliance. <laughs> wow. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Naval Institute podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. With me is Commander Jeff Benson, our CSIS Naval Institute Fellow. Is that the official name of the fellowship? What's the official name? Military Fellow, Federal Executive fellow. fellow for uh, CSIS, USNI. So, and we're here, as you can hear, it's a pretty noisy and raucous atmosphere of ship selection night at the United States Naval Academy. So the first class midshipmen, the seniors who selected surface warfare, are one by one by class standing picking the ships that they will serve on for their initial tour. Um, there are approximately, how many does it say there, Jeff, in the thing? 260? Yeah, about approximately 260, 260? Uh, midshipmen that will select their uh, ships this evening. So we've uh, so far had the first two, and now the third midshipman is picking. What did he pick here? And we have to comment the first pick was uh, four deployed Japanese uh, operating Right, so Japan. what you heard as we came on air here was uh, a Japanese military officer presenting a samurai sword to the number one pick, what was a uh, destroyer. Out of Yokosuka. Out of Yokosuka, Japan. Yeah, so great energy as you can hear. One by one, they go up to the big board and they pick their ship. Of course, uh, oh, this guy just accidentally picked two. Um, <laughs> is, this like, is this like white, white, white I mean, where there is no other community that has the excitement that builds around going to your first job, like uh, here at the Naval Academy. Yeah, and this is very special for the surface warfare community. So if you pick Navy Air or Marine Corps, you, you don't know where you're going at this point in your Navy life. You have to go, in the case of Marines, they have to go to the basic school. And if they're Marine Air, they got to go for flight school. In case of Navy Air, you go to flight school. You don't know what squadron you're going to be in or what coast you'll be on. So this is really a milestone in the surface warfare officer selectees' lives. They're, they know where they're going. They know what ship. There's a representative from each ship here to say hello to them, to give them a memento, like a ship's ball cap and something. And would they talk jobs at this point? Would they tell them what job they're going to get? No, not necessarily the job per se, but uh, you, know, you do you do know where you're going and may have a sense of where potentially what job you may fall into after this. But they'll definitely at least that process starts. They'll get a sense of uh, familiarity and feel like they know at least one person from their <laughs> command. That's right. They, you know, also, the history behind each ship, right? There's a there's a cultural and there's a history for that namesake, and now they can start being part of that family uh, of that ship. Very cool. So you were the skipper of the Steedham, and uh, you have a mascot here. Tell us about that. It's the bee. Yeah, the uh, Steedham bee. It, it you know it's been a part of the ship for a long time. We uh, actually got the new mascot and the. Uh, CO sent a team uh, here, and it's absolutely wonderful. It's the, as you can look around, it's the only mascot here. Um, so it'll be really exciting for the new uh, steel workers that get uh, that pick Steedham to, uh, to join a great family. So tell them about Steedham, the namesake, and, and why, why it's a B. The ship's named after Robbie Steedham, uh, who's a steel worker, second class, uh, who gave the ultimate sacrifice uh, in a, a terrorist uh, uh, hijacking in 1986. And... Um, he was, uh, you know, a diver. He worked with the CBs, and so the the B is representative of, of the can-do attitude. Very cool. The other thing great about tonight, Ward, is that if you look around, there's the families that 
come here to support their son or daughters, as well as they can look on online. I mean, they, you know, the people are watching this uh, all throughout the country, watching their son or daughter see the, the next phase of, of their life, which is uh, really a great thing to witness. So you can hear the energy all around us. We're here in Alumni Hall at the Naval Academy. If you've ever been here uh, for a basketball game, <laughs> we're, it's kind of what we call the Bob Hope setup, which is half or the, the, a third of it is, is cordoned off, and the stands are full. Like Jeff said, we have the selectees, obviously. We have um, a group of Navy surface warfare admirals from the uh, various commands that represent. So we have the ship boss, who is Surf Pack, as well as U.S. Navy Surface Forces. We have his subordinate two-star, uh, which is Surf Lant. Now, back in my day, both TICOMs were three stars. Um, but now... The, uh, is it always the West Coast that's the three-star? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And that's true for Airland as well. So the three-star is on the West Coast. The two-star um, is the other TICOM on the East Coast. So both of those admirals are here. And then N96, who's the resource provider, um, the money guy in the Pentagon is here, Admiral Black, um, who I happen to have served with when I was CAG Ops. He was Alpha Whiskey aboard the Normandy, uh, aboard the George Washington Bow Group back in the day. Um, caught up with him last week at, uh, or a couple weeks ago at the Surface Navy Association event. So, and we also remind our listeners that we talked to Admiral Brown uh, on one of the shows a couple of uh, episodes ago at SNA. So he's here. He kicked it off. He said, you guys will always remember this night, but you will not remember the Admiral that told you you will remember this night. And I'm sure that that's true. So that's very uh, self-deprecating of him and a uh, great way to kick it off here. Yeah, and it's a great career milestone, uh, you know, finish up the academy, they'll graduate this year and uh, immediately uh, head out to the fleet. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for them to, uh, you know, also reach out to maybe academy, uh, you know, graduates that they knew here at the academy and maybe serving with uh, in, the, in the fleet. So they're going up just to describe the scene here. They go up to the big board and all the ship names and home ports are velcroed to the board there and then they pull off the one they want and little by little the choices dwindle so uh by the time you get to number 260 what do we think the most the least desirable choice would be a minesweeper out of earl new jersey or something <laughs> like that that's a great question right i mean uh I'd hate of to course be every ship is necessary and all experiences are, That's right. are good ones. Yeah, they'll still be an ensign when they check they'll on board. They'll still be an ensign. They still will get their swope in. Um, in fact, some of the smaller commands are actually uh, uh, maybe a better circumstance, depending on the training officer situation. Um, but what we know from our Navy careers is it's never what you thought, and sometimes the things you think won't work out work yeah. out best. And conversely, things you things you think are suitcase are not don't really work out. So. You know, uh, these ensigns, they're not ensigns yet. These first-class midshipmen uh, should go into these with an open mind and uh, a great work ethic. I'm just saying, you know, so last year we in Japan, we watched this, uh, you know, live streaming. And this year to actually be here and see the excitement uh, firsthand is truly amazing. I can't think of any other uh, corporation in the United States or any other institution that can celebrate uh you know, going to your first job as well as they do here. Yeah, and 
you know, this is super consequential, right? I mean, these, these it's not like we're hanging out at Google or Facebook and these are product managers that just launched a new iPhone or something, which is cause for celebration, I guess, in those circles. These folks are going out to serve on combatant ships, warfighting ships that will sail into harm's way. Um, in some cases, like the first pick, they will be forward deployed from the get-go. That's what 7th Fleet is all about. Um, so this, these choices are of the greatest consequence, um, and we need these folks to hit the ground running, hit the, the, the deck plates uh, with the best attitude, ready to uh, contribute to the crew. And uh, this is what their four years of midshipman life have been all about. Right? We talk about the Army-Navy game, we talk about parades, we talk about the pageantry of the Naval Academy. Certainly this setting is, is uh, timeless and unrivaled in collegiate circles, but when the rubber meets the road, it's all about serving your nation in a consequential way, and that's what these folks are going to be doing as surface warfare officers. You would think that the you know the uh, the crowd would die down a little bit, but it's just not happening, right? Yeah, I think no. it's going to be like this throughout. Which well, is, uh, each company. So as people may know, the Naval Academy is divided into 30 companies across about 4,100 midshipmen. So each company is represented here. So as their firsties go down, their seniors go down to pick their ships. You can hear the crowds come alive in various parts of the stands. Not to mention any parents or other um, good friends of the selectees. So I can't read the, the names on the screen here as they, um, as they pick, Jeff. You may have better eyes than I do. So as we go along here, we, we want to talk to some of the selectees um, after they walk up and, and uh, start to peel off into the reception. Uh, Jeff is also going to try to take some of the principals on the officer side sidebar. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the decision-making going on. You know, what they have to decide is what port, you know, maybe they want to live or what type of ship. And so a lot of times, you know, that's the decision, you know, whether someone wants to serve on a destroyer or an amphib or whether they want to live in Japan or live in San Diego. So, so what are the basic choices in terms of home ports? So you've got Yokosuka, Japan, Sasebo, Japan. Uh, you've got San, San Diego, Bremerton, Washington. You've got Norfolk, Virginia, and you've got Mayport, Florida as, as the primary. Uh, and Pearl locations. Harbor. You and Pearl, Harbor. Pearl Harbor. Thank you. Yeah, Pearl I Harbor just read well. it. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's so, so if you know, if someone a, wants to a live really in Hawaii. really wide uh, array of home that's ports. That's right. Right? Um, and uh, then you have classes of ship. So how would that go sort of? I think it's all the preference, you know. So if someone, uh, you know, has an interest in Marines and operating and working, you know, the blue-green aspect, so they, they may decide that they want to be on an amphib and, and choose that. Um, if they want to be on a destroyer or cruiser, obviously we have plenty of those uh, to choose from on the list tonight. So so in terms of getting your, your pin, your service warfare officer pin, is there any class that, uh, or what would the circumstance be uh, to make that an accelerated process with respect to either home port or class of ship? And yeah, I know so we're we, talking very general terms here. Right. No, we've streamlined the uh, the SWO process, so you know it really doesn't matter necessarily what ship uh, you go to. 
Uh, as we're seeing, someone just uh, selecting Japan again. Another Japan, another and samurai sword. We, we talk about the alliance between and our two countries. They're waving the rising it's sun. Strong. It's a really, really cool scene here. Uh, very international scene. Um, that's a, a Japanese Navy captain just awarded the selectee a samurai sword. And they're waving the rising sun, the Japanese flag behind them. It's super cool. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty special. Uh, yeah, very special moment for that that midshipman's life. So I'm sorry I cut you off there. Uh, you were talking yeah, about yeah. So the so the, the soil pen processes have been pretty streamlined and pretty uh, uh, you know straightforward all across the fl fleet. You know, we've set a, a certain standard that every uh, you know swell has to meet, and regardless of what platform you go to, uh, that person when they are in the swell pen will have the officer of deck call. Uh, and have all the uh, you know, associated PQS qualifications that merit that, that swap in. Um, and they also go back to SWAS to help you know, baseline and make sure that everyone maintains that standard uh, across the fleet. So um, really when it comes down tonight is really that personal decision, you know, where do you want to live, what kind of ship do you want to, to, to work on, and really set the tone for the beginning of your career. And even if you think you have that suitcase in terms of where you're going to live, Ships change home port, <laughs> ship schedules. I mean, I never cruised when I thought I would. And then, uh, you know, the only thing constant is change in the Navy. Right? Absolutely. So you got to watch what you think suitcasing the circumstance yeah. too much because yeah. I guarantee you it will probably change. There, there will be some changes, but I, I, I have no doubt that each uh, midshipman here tonight has done their homework and their research oh, that's on, true, on all it? the yeah. different ships, and they've reached out to their friends that serve on the different so ships. So to that point... I, I know that uh, a couple wanted to go to Rota, but they think the Rota ships will go quickly. So they did their intel work, like you're talking about, and found out ships in Norfolk that are going to Rota that's, before too that's long. That's right. Right? So that's a good point that uh, you don't have to teach these mids how to get the intel. That's what they learned here. And I'm sure there's some that uh, will be happy with whatever they get and uh, look forward to just, you know, heading out to sea, too. So Jack Cordero is the son of Chris Cordero, who's a Tomcat Rio, who I know very well. The Cordero family, they were on the staff here at the Naval Academy um, when, I, when I was teaching here at the end of my career. So uh, it's really cool that uh, young Jack has selected surface warfare. I didn't see what ship he got, um, but here we go. The tradition continues. In fact, I met Jack when he was a plebe <laughs> just a few years ago. It's, again, us old guys were just talking about how fast it goes. I'm sure he doesn't yeah, think so it's been fast. Absolutely. I mean, uh, he probably thinks he's been here forever, but uh, I'm sure he's ready to graduate. But uh, that's very cool. So we were talking, and we've talked on the show since it's out, since it was first created, about. 7th Fleet Ops. So you were a 7th Fleet Operator. Um, talk about that. So if they pick Yokosuka or Sasebo, we talk about quote-unquote permanently forward deployed. What's, how does that differ from maybe being in San Diego or Norfolk? Well, I mean, you're, 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 you're constantly on call 24-7. So instead of, you know, if you're in San Diego, per se, and you're, you're doing workups and you're getting training for deployment, um, at any point, you know, you're, you're the uh, first responders in a, in a crisis. Um, doesn't mean that we lower the standard of our training or our ability to operate. It just means that we're forward deployed and we're within, uh, you know, arm's reach of, of some very big hotspots uh, through, through the Indo-Pacific region. 
So and there's so, no JTFX. There's no interdeployment training cycle. No, there there, there is. There, we, we follow the the, the same process. Um, you know that ships back home do uh, in Norfolk or San Diego. Uh, the, the big difference is once you get certified, uh, you're operating for those eighteen, <laughs> those months. Whereas, whereas you know, a stateside ship would go for six months and come back. And so the the operational time has to be balanced carefully and managed carefully. Um, but you're forward deployed and ready to go if a, a crisis should happen. And uh, and that presence in the area is important, as well as we've seen tonight working with the Japanese. Uh, there is, you know, in my mind, there is no closer relationship. Um, you know, in the Indo-Pacific than with the Japanese Navy. Um, we work hand-in-hand hand while we're out there, and it's a very special relationship. So I'm guessing we've done a couple dozen so far. Um, as we said, there's about 260 ships. Um, I can't really see the board to tell you what they're looking like in terms... It looks like just from here, a lot of availability in Yokosuka. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think we've seen two uh, two selected from uh, Yokosuka, maybe three. At a lot this of point. availability in Sasebo. Um, and quite a few ships in San Diego. Yeah, I guess is that the main one yeah, there? The yeah. So there's San, a bunch San in San Diego. They're color coded, so I don't know if uh, if yellow are the 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 DDGs, the yeah, early birds. Yeah, the, uh, the color codes. Uh, Do we have? Is there anything in our press kit here? It tells us what the color yeah. The, uh, codes are. the the white is the conventional or uh, EDO engineering duty officer option. The yellow is for nuclear, and uh, red is nuclear only. Green is for uh, information warfare option only, and blue uh, blue chips. Uh, blue chips are uh, a uh, a program that was started where the midshipmen during their midshipmen crews come out to the ships, and if the CO and XO um, like them and the midshipmen like the ship they can have two blue chips so you can actually recruit your own uh, junior officer to come work for you and it's an incredible program that we and we you know we we bought in hook line and sinker on Steedham and really really embraced it and uh, a wonderful thing when you have that blue chip uh, we actually gave them a, poke, a blue poker chip when they were on board um, to signify it, and so that's what you see. You see some blue chips right on, on the board. Okay, uh, okay, and, and that's what that is all about. Wow, very cool, very cool. So it's almost like an internship program. That's right. And if you yeah. like it, and you like the ship, you like the uh, the wardroom, and you you like what the, the ship has to offer, and it's mutual. Um, it's a win-win, uh, not only for the individual but for the navy. So now Jacob Kang from the 20th Company is picking. Let's see what he picks. I think he's he's going for is that Sasebo? Yeah, he, he picked Sasebo. Yeah. And it's a yellow one, so that what did we say that was? Yellow is nuclear. Nuclear? Or if no other white backgrounds uh, left for the ship. So or conventional EDO as well. So what do we you said nuclear. What do we mean when we say nuclear? So nuke, so they would go to the, an aircraft carrier, uh, potentially on their second tour. Their first tour would be on a ship. Uh, okay, destroy, so destroy. Yeah, they, they, okay. the surface nuke. So Got it. they would uh, spend that first tour um, on a, a DDG and then go to a, a, a carrier afterwards. Okay. My classmate and former ship boss, Tommy Roden. 
was yep, a surface right. nuke. Good stuff. All right, now Connor Weber of the 18th Company from Sarasota, Florida. His major is Cyber Ops. And he picked something from Norfolk. Norfolk. Uh, he picked a nuke. You really can't hear it, but they're playing music that the midshipmen select. Oh, they selected their own walk-up music. They're on walk-up they're, they're, they're music. music, yeah. so. Uh, again, Major and, League and, Baseball. Yeah, thing. I mean, you know, it seems like every year they add something new that just makes it, you know, ten times better. Yeah. Caitlin Gross. Or Goss, rather. Caitlin picked... San Diego, a nuke. So she goes down the line, shakes the ship boss, surf Lant and N96's hand on their way off the stage. So let's see if we can grab a mid. We have Emily Feng here, who just selected uh, Arleigh Burke uh, in Norfolk, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, sir. All right. And so could you talk a little bit, bit about uh, why you uh, selected Arleigh Burke and uh, Norfolk? I knew Arleigh Burke was home port shifting to Rhoda in a couple... We were just talking about like that. that. We just were talking about that logic. Yes, Good. sir. I just wanted the majority of my first tour in Spain, and I figured, why not get all the calls done here? and then be able to do awesome stuff out in Spain. Was Surface Warfare your first choice? Is that what you wanted for Warfare especially, or Actually, was that all about? <laughs> Funny thing is, uh, my first choice was Marines. Okay. And uh, Swell was my second choice, so okay. I'm happy either way. That's what, what we can tell you as the old guys is, <laughs> whatever happens in life was meant to be, and you will not be unhappy with what you're gonna be doing. So congratulations on that. So what's your major? I'm a physics major. Physics major, okay, cool. And where are you from? I'm from uh, Aliso Viejo, California. Okay, and what company were you in here? Uh, I'm in Fifth Company. Fifth Company. And what made you uh, uh, you know, choose Ollie Burke and, and Norfolk? Was there anything, did you have other ones you were considering or what led you to uh, Ollie Burke? Uh, I was thinking if I couldn't get a ship in Rota that is staying there for at least a year or two, I was going to pick Arleigh Burke. So so it, was all, it was all about Rhoda. It's all about Rhoda. <laughs> so what, what can you tell her about an Arleigh Burke? You, he was skipper of an Arleigh Burke, right? Absolutely. So, you know, obviously Arleigh Burke has got some great historical, uh, you know, aspects of the DDG class. Um, and, you know, being on the first Arleigh Burke is pretty special. Uh, you know, as well as, you know, CSIS, you know, Institute. Um, you know, CSIS was founded by Arleigh Burke, so you're you're in great hands going to a great ship. So, absolutely wonderful. Do you have any idea what job you want to do? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever job they just get. ready to serve, right? <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Well, That's congratulations, awesome. Emily. Thanks for coming by, and uh, go party. Awesome. Thank you for your time. All right. Thank you. Okay. okay. 
Well, it's great. We have uh, midshipman Russ Bauer from Tabernacle, New Jersey, and his dad, Russ Bauer, joining us here this evening to talk a little bit about what tonight has meant, uh, not only for uh, midshipman Bauer, but also for his dad. So I guess my first question would be, uh, as a dad myself who has three sons, uh, what's tonight been like for you, uh, Mr. Bauer, about uh, coming here and seeing your son select uh, not only a ship, and we will have to say uh, midshipman Bauer has picked the Chancellorsville, a cruiser going to Yokosuka, Japan. So not only is he uh, going to a cruiser, um, but he's also going to be forward deployed. So maybe talk a little bit about what that means to you tonight. Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, the, the excitement leading up to tonight was just phenomenal. I think for the past week, he's been sending me his list and where his thoughts are, what he's wanted. You know, we got here early, spent the day, had some uh, dinner, tried to get here early enough and watch the whole thing. And it's great to see him as a starting out, aspiring SWO, starting his career. I mean, I'm a retired SWO. Uh, been retired 20 years now. I did 24. And I know what it's like to go through the career, and it's exciting to see your son starting his. Yeah, no, they had nothing like this when you were in the Navy, right? I mean, this has all evolved, and what do you think of it? No, I, this is great. I mean, I, I got orders in the mail to go to San Diego, and that, and that was it. That's all I knew about it. Uh, my first ship was a frigate. And you come here, and the excitement and the just the, you know, enthusiasm that's here is just phenomenal. That's yeah, a great it, way for them to start. It truly is unbelievable. And uh, Midshipman Bauer, maybe if you can talk a little bit about uh, what were some of the criteria that you used selecting the ship tonight and uh, maybe that process and the conversation with your dad about it. Absolutely. Uh, so I had both of my midshipman cruises, FDNF. My youngster one was out of Japan. My first class cruise was out of uh, Rota, Spain. Um, so really it came down to, I knew I wanted to be forward deployed somewhere, get that fast paced lifestyle, make sure I'm going out. Uh, I mean, after all, it is the surface Navy or surface warfare officer. Let's get out and drive instead of staying in port. Um, so for me, that was the main criteria. And then from there it was ship type, platform, what do I really, really want? Uh, which the seamanship and navigation department here has done a fantastic job in educating all of us about the different types of platforms their advantages and different disadvantages. Uh, so what it really came down to was uh, making an Excel sheet of what I had, kind of putting in, you know, what's what do you like of this one over others? And uh, push comes to shove, I really didn't know what I was going to choose until I was stepping up off the stairs and uh, Chancellorsville was available and I ran right towards that. Uh, a lot of the conversation back and forth was, do I want to stay here in TAD? Do I want to get out and start the career early? And uh, I'm, I'm ready to get out, ready to start the career, and start start driving ships. Well, you're going to go right out there. You know, I just came, you know, within the last year, came from Japan. And uh, you're going out at a time, you know, where the Chancellorsville will be conducting freedom of navigation operations. You'll be operating the South China Sea. You'll be operating the East China Sea. And you're going to be forward deployed representing the United States Navy. And it's an unbelievable experience. The only advice I'd give you is it goes by way too fast. So enjoy every bit of it. Um, as you go through, you know, not only this first stage, but the, but the rest of your career. Um, so what's next, Mr. Bauer? I mean, you, you have plans to go out to Japan? I was going to say, I think a trip to Japan is going to be in the future. It's been uh, something like 30 years since the last time I was out there on, on a deployment. So it'll be different. Um, you know, and it's interesting that he chose Chancellorville because those ships were just coming into the fleet when I retired. I, I was on a couple of sprue cans. So I know the hull. I know the capabilities of those ships and I think it's phenomenal for him as a first ship. 
No, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the uh, the Sprint's class uh, destroyer, you know, has the same engineering plant as the cruisers do, do today, and it, it's absolutely amazing. And your, your timing to go to Japan is uh, pretty impeccable, right? I mean, the Tokyo Olympics are here in 2020, so it may be a good time to go visit your son this summer and uh, maybe catch a little bit of the Olympics. Yeah, I think the hard part's going to be is it is it time to see him in his home port of Japan, or do I wait until he goes, like, to Australia or Singapore <laughs> or something like that? So... But those are tough choices I'll have to make. Absolutely. And, uh, Mr. Bauer, what port visit do you want to go when you go to FDNF? Is there any one particular area, or is there an area you want to operate in that you've always, uh, since you've been here at the Academy, you've been studying and learning about the uh, the, the region? Is there anything particular you, where you want to go? Uh, absolutely. I got blessed. I got Australia on my youngster cruise already. Uh, so Sydney won't be bad, but really, really excited to get into the South China Sea and uh, experience some fawn ops down there. Um, as a political science major, that's all we've been really focusing on. Uh, I've been blessed to have a, a China expert throughout my career here as, as my main uh, professor. So I've really had a heavy drive focusing on what China's doing, how they're operating, and how they're interacting with the neighbors in the region. So to see everything that I've studied go into practice and have all that background knowledge and now experience it firsthand, is going to be just a phenomenal experience. No, it's absolutely wonderful to hear. And uh, Mr. Bauer, maybe maybe just end on, on this note. Um, you've had a career in the surface navy. Um, what advice are you going to give your son as he goes to his first ship and operate? Um, I mean, he still has got to graduate, obviously. But uh, um, as he sets sail this uh, summer, uh, what, what's the best piece of advice that you could give him? Get no, keep an open mind. Seize the opportunities that you're going to get, whether it be to uh, go into an exercise in combat, uh, do an unwrap alongside, you know, get, get that time, qualify, listen to your chiefs. They know what the heck they're doing. They'll guide you right, you know, make the most of your experience, get qualified, and keep an open mind for the future. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful advice, and I would definitely take heed. I just want to thank Midshipman Russ Bauer um, from Tabernacle, New Jersey political science major who's going to the USS Chancellorsville, forward deployed to Japan. I also want to thank his father, uh, Russ Bauer, as well, for, for joining us here on Naval Institute Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we are here with our good friend Massimo Morales. You just selected um, the USS Shoop DDG-86 out of San Diego. So we'll remind the audience that Massimo was one of our original interns, uh, and now here he is, uh, a fresh-caught ship selectee, surface warfare officer-to-be. You'll graduate in a couple of months here. So what do you think? I, I got exactly what I wanted. I just didn't know it was what I wanted. Uh, I was thinking uh, a DDG or a cruiser uh, out of the East Coast, uh, but as we were sitting down uh, in line for ship selection, Lieutenant Jordan, who used to be a history professor here at the Naval Academy, she was actually my friend's history instructor, uh, she was yelling about the ship and yelling about how the ship was going to be the best ship, and I, I, I have never met her in person, I just know who she is, uh, I know she's a fantastic, fantastic person, and I figured that, you know, schedule's going to work out, home port's going to be fine, uh, but it's really going to be the people that you work with, and if I get a chance to work with a person like that who I know is fantastic, I think I'll be in good shape. Alright, I think your logic is right on. Any hint of what job you would get when you show up, or will that come later? I, I have no idea. I, I know that um, 
I mean, a lot of the officers greeted me as I came off the stage. Uh, Lieutenant Jordan was one of them. I know she's going to be the Chang. Uh, given that she was just about 100% of the reason that I chose the ship, I hope I'm in engineering. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I'll take anything. I'm excited for whatever it is. All right. Well, we're very proud of you, Max, and uh, uh, keep in touch with us and let us know what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you. All right, we have uh, Lieutenant uh, Jordan Dix here, who's a Naval Academy grad of class of 2015. He's the DCA on the Port Royal station in Hawaii. So you came all the way from Hawaii to be here tonight for ship selection. Uh, can you talk about uh, that flight here and, and why the ship sent you? Overnight flight, took a red eye in uh, this morning. Ship ship needs somebody, somebody. Cam was like, hey, we need somebody here. We need somebody to be the face of Port Royal to show a friendly face. Um, for somebody that may not know a whole lot about what they're getting into, um, I know when I selected my first ship, I didn't have anybody here to tell me, hey, welcome aboard. This is what you can expect on your first day on board, maybe. A uh, little contact information. Hey, if you have any questions, send them my way. Um, and we just want to be show a little what, what we like to call in Hawaii a little aloha, you know. That's wonderful. Can you talk a little bit about what tonight means? Uh, you know, you're a midshipman and you're selecting. You've gone through this process. Uh, what, did, what did it mean for you when you came through? What, what ship did you select back then? I, I select uh, LCS Crew 108, so not even a ship. Uh, back when mids were allowed to select uh, LCS. Granted, that's changed. Uh, now it's only second tours on LCS, but when, going into it, for me, I was like, I want to be a surface warfare officer. I want to drive ships. I want to drive ships fast. So I picked the fastest ship I could think of, and that was an LCS, because I knew they go fast. Um, and, and that was kind of like all I was thinking about going into it. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to get out there and drive ships, and that's, that's really what being a SWO is all about. How many people picked Port Royal tonight? Uh, three selectees. All great candidates for... Uh, the will to win, USS Port Royal, gonna bring a lot of teeth to the fight, and that's what these mids coming out of uh, the academy. They're they're hard chargers. They're all ready to go. When they show up to the ship, they're they're bright eyed. They're excited, and that I shot I saw a lot of that tonight. Um, and selecting, uh, I think everybody was I'm going to Hawaii, and uh, I got a lot of that. We we threw a lay on them. Uh, send them away with a ball cap and uh, they'll be able to sport that around the yard um, represent the ship that they're about to go to uh, it's just an awesome piece of like camaraderie that you're already like getting into even before you show up yeah that we were talking about um, the other warfare specialists don't have this right you get you have to go to flight school you have to go to TBS and there are other training tracks so you don't know when you leave the Naval Academy or certainly this part of second semester, what your command's going to be. Very right. very unique to the surface warfare community. And as you've stated, you guys do a good job of, uh, of setting the tone with the command, with the, the ball caps and the lays and that sort of thing. And uh, they get instilled right from the get-go. Do you have any idea what jobs those three will take when they get to the ship? I don't. Uh, what, what kind of jobs would be in the offing uh, for a, a brand new what the, in the aviation business we'd call a nugget. What, what would the, the first, first-timers do, sort of, for the uh, uneducated listeners among our uh, listening audience here? Of course. Uh, so 
those three new ensigns, they'll they'll show up to the ship. Uh, they'll either be put in weapons department, work for the weapons officer, work for the chain, become a engineering officer, um, work for a combat systems officer. And so I work in engineering as damage control assistant. Uh, showing up to the ship, they could be auxiliaries officer, electrical officer, repair officer, and come work for me. Uh, and they'll they'll each own divisions of mm, relatively could be as small as maybe five people in a division, all the way up to maybe in my division like 34 to 38 people, which is a decent amount. That's a lot of responsibility. Show up day one, and hey, you work for a lieutenant above, uh, but you're directly responsible for close to 40 people, um, and they report to you daily. Those 40 people, it weighs on you. I mean, I, I can't think of something maybe like in the civilian world equivalent to where you show up day one on a job. Yeah, there's nothing like it in the and civilian you, world. And right? you got 40 people working for you, and some of those people with, I mean, 20 years of service in, in the Navy, you know, a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, and and rely, we rely heavily on those chiefs going in as junior JOs, but um, yeah. But you're it's, also, it's so awesome. besides your primary duty and your leadership responsibilities for upwards of 40 folks, you're also trying to do your track towards your swope in. That's correct. Right? So you got a lot going on. It's a very busy time. So what's Port Royal uh, looking like in terms of uh, op tempo? Are you guys deploying? Um, are you guys in the, in the yards? Where, where are you in your training cycle, in your deployment cycle? Uh, we're, we're right in the middle of the basic phase, going in the basic phase. So uh, these, these young guys that are showing up, they'll see a full deployment. Which is, which is an awesome opportunity, and potentially, too, uh, with the 30-month the uh, career path for, for the new divos. So that's going to be, for these Port Royal uh, JOs, that's going to be two deployments under their belt before they move on to their next tour, which is an awesome opportunity. That's kind of the way to do it, right? Yeah. It is. They'll be on the fast track to get their swoop in, which is, I think, the best yeah, way to great, do it. Great timing to go to a ship. I mean, uh, you know, especially Hawaii, right? I mean, uh, aloha and get to go out. I just think it's wonderful that your captain uh, took the initiative and your XO to send you out here all the way from Hawaii. It sends a strong message how strong the SWO community takes. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, in, in the new new SWOs that are coming in. And, and as he's pointed out, the, uh, the 30-month is really to really give that opportunity to train and hone in on those skills and get that chance to really operate, which is absolutely wonderful. So, um, so Lieutenant Jordan Dix from the USS Port Royal CG seventy seven three will the win CG seventy three. Well, thanks for taking the red eye. Welcome home to Annapolis. Hopefully, you can get some uh, some McGarvey's time in while you're here, or oh, yeah. whatever else uh, is mandatory during uh, Liberty in Annapolis. Thanks for spending some time on the Naval Institute podcast with us. Safe sailing, safe trip back home, and congratulations on three new crewmates here. Oh, thank you so much, sir. Great. We're really honored to have Vice Admiral Kilby uh, here this evening with us uh, for SWO Selection Night. And Admiral, i got to ask you, what does this mean uh, to the SWO fleet and to all the junior officers or, you know, that are going to be going out to the fleet? Sure, Jeff. Thank you. It's a, it's a great honor to be here. First of all, on a selfish note, I get a charge of energy coming here every time to watch ship selection. It's amazing. Now, uh, for the community, the turnout is to welcome all these 
SWO selectees to come to our community and to get a taste of what they're going to uh, experience here where, for however long they stay in is energizing to all of us and I hope them. Uh, you know, many of us who come here harken back to uh, when we were them and we try to share that with them to, to the degree we can but certainly to welcome them into this uh, great opportunity that now is unfolding for them is, is the most amazing part for us and to watch them kind of think through that process and then go up and make the ultimate selection and, and it's really you can see the kind of light come on when they are attached to a ship that they're going to go be ship's company for. It's really exciting. So, Admiral, your current job is N8. Can you explain to the audience what that means? Sure. I, actually, I'm the N9, which means I'm the requirements and capability guy for the Navy. And that is uh, what kind of ships, weapons, aircraft, submarines uh, do we buy in the future? And how do we prepare our Navy to be the best and, re and keep it the best that it is in the world? Yeah, the excitement, uh, we were talking about this earlier this evening, you know, no other community really has something like this. I mean, it is well, pretty unique and pretty special. Jeff, it certainly has really grown to be quite an event. You know, it was uh, not, I don't recall it being quite like well, this. Well, I don't even think they had this when I was a mid. They, they did. Right, there was not no, a. No, that you lined up yeah. one to N. Right. And uh, you walked into <laughs> Small Hall. Yeah, and exactly, like, right. Make your pick. Yeah. And then you get sheltered <laughs> off to Memorial Hall. But, but I think it's much more... Um, uh, thoughtful the way the Naval Academy approaches this now. So it's exposure, it's understanding. The midshipmen are very well versed into what's available to them. They have access to ship schedules. They've thought through the problem. They understand Aegis baselines and what baselines uh, have what capabilities. So they're really quite sophisticated uh, by comparison to myself, who was really quite uh, uh, immature about the process. So one, I commend them. I commend the Naval Academy to put so much time and effort into it. And to make this a big event, right? Because they're going to go bridge from this uh, awesome institution to this next step where, where uh, many, many of them, and I tell them when I come here and eat here, you know, if you asked Kilby friends, they, were, they would tell you he would get out in five years. And the experience and opportunity that is a two-part thing, the system has to give them uh, an opportunity that they want to be part of, and then they have to lean into the problem and become part of it. And that's, that's the exciting part to watch. Because really, I, I tell them, I said, hey, you, you have no idea what you're about to embark on. And the responsibility we put into you to lead our sailors, our nation's best, is quite an awesome responsibility. And you can have an impact more than you can ever imagine now in that leadership role at such a, such a relatively young age. So it is awesome. And it gives commands the chance, and we were just talking to the rep from Port Royal, who's the DCA, a chance to set the tone right from the get-go. Absolutely. Right? I mean, Ward, before I, you get commissioned. I've been up here many, many times. When I was a captain of a ship, I would come recruit. And I can tell you firsthand experiences about uh, engaging a midshipman who was not interested in SWO because it wasn't his first pick. And he, there was an interchange, and he picked uh, my ship and came to it, and he crushed it. And then he actually went and lat transferred to SEALs, and he's a company officer here now. So he's bringing that experience with him. And really, for those of us who are, who are in the Navy, we just want uh, those people who work for us to be fulfilled. And in my case, I had an opportunity to say, look, uh, Look, young Ensign, uh, this is a meritocracy on Good Ship Monterey. And all you have to do is perform, and I will perform for you. And it works. And so I think you will find that nine times out of ten that 
these uh, young folks that are kind of trying to figure themselves out, even at 22, will go into the Navy and they'll be given that experience set. They'll be pushed into some circumstances they want to be in and they'll go to some circumstances they want to, they don't want to be in necessarily, but they'll grow from it. And they'll really gain quite a self-confidence and poise and ability to, uh, to deal with so many situations. So it's really exciting uh, to watch this happen. And then the kind of little self-reflection, right? Uh, you know, as I said, dinner to, to midshipmen who were at my table, I said, you know, I wish I had uh, been more thoughtful and focused when I was a midshipman because yeah. I probably got, would have got more out of it. No, right? absolutely. Ab- that is so. exactly right. And I had the luxury of teaching here at the end of my career, and I, that hit me big time that I had sort of wasted the opportunity as a mid uh, in terms of plugging into the profession. Um, and that's what the Naval Institute is all about. And, and uh, we have programs now that, that we didn't have when I was a mid, sponsored student program and other stuff to sort of make them understand the uh, the enormity and the heritage of the uh, profession in ways that are great, not force-fed, but they're the, the, all the ways that we come in to know at the lieutenant commander level or whatever. Um, I think they're learning a lot earlier. So for you, getting out of the Pentagon is always a good time, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is energizing. So if we could take a big picture just a second. So you're, you're wrestling with the 355 plan and the other things that the acting SECNAV is working on. How's your temperature about what these folks are getting into in terms of the surface community with resources, op tempo? Are, are they, is it trending in a, a, a good direction, you think? Well, I, I think so. I, I would say, and uh, I've actually been asked uh, by Admiral Daly on several occasions to talk at various events. And one of the things that's a, a kind of a sea change over the last year is this uh, reconnection with the Marine Corps, you know, the Naval Service, so the Navy and Marine Corps. And uh, to me, there's some opportunity. Uh, and so we'll see how this uh, force structure assessment uh, plays out when it's released. But I think there's going to be some really exciting things in, in there, as alluded to by the SECNAV, that, that provide opportunity across many communities, but in particular the SWO community working with the Marine Corps. So uh, we're in an era where we really have to bring everything to bear. And, and that's all the communities and, and the, all the Naval Service to plug into the joint community to really have the complete effect that we need. So I think you'll see folks uh, working in a, in a manner maybe that we haven't in the past before. I think we have to think a little more um, uh, expansively about how we employ our assets, not just in a single traditional manner, but perhaps uh, from a Marine Corps perspective, how can I provide you a fire control solution for your short battery, or how can you provide me uh, the fire control solution I need for my system, and how can we communicate together and maneuver in a manner that will uh, give our adversaries pause? And so I think it is a, it is a very exciting uh, time, and I think the investments we've made, uh, we have a uh, strategy-driven budget now, so we have a very... Uh, toothy and meaty uh, CNO's guidance that comes out for every budget cycle that we program to and really try to move the needle to make the force uh, more lethal every single pump cycle we we can. Admiral, could you briefly talk about, uh, so the midshipmen are now going to be transitioning to coming ensigns and they're going to be going out to the fleet. What advice do you give that that new ensign that's going out um, and hitting the you know hitting the ground running? Yeah, so Jeff, I've been asked that question several times. Uh, I got asked it especially when I talked to Divos in in one of my previous lives when I was standing up the surface of mine, Warfighting Development Center, and the advice I gave him was always the same. I said, try your best. 
That's all I want from you. We will provide the opportunity, the situation, everything you need to learn. But really, all I need for you is to throw yourself into it and don't hold anything back. And you will be rewarded more than you know uh, because you will experience so much. If you hold back and are reticent and kind of unsure of things, then you miss an opportunity. And I'll, and I'll use an example. When I was a department head, a Naval Academy grad came to work for me. And he said, you know, I, I'm not sure this is for me. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And, and that was the beginning of the counseling session. And they got successively more robust as, as the counseling went on until I was about ready to detach. And he said, hey, I, I think I, I want to resign my commission. And I said, no, you got X amount of education out of this country and you're going to pay him back. Fast forward to Kilby going to major command. He's sitting behind me in age of school. So the light clicked on for him, right? And he came back to me and said, you know, why didn't you give up on me? And I said, that's not what we do. We don't give up. We try to prevent, create the opportunity for you to realize what you can do and you did it. So go commandership. Go take that lesson. Go take that experience set and make your crew better for it. That's, that's the opportunity for you. And he did it. I mean, I think that... You know, says a lot about what our community is all about. Yeah. And, you know, it's the it's the not only the uh, the connection, but also the professionalism that we uh, you know, exude throughout the fleet. And uh, you're a great advocate for that. And uh, it's great to have you on this evening, uh, celebrating with these midshipmen on a truly professional achievement for them as they, they graduate and they go out to the fleet. So we thank you for being with us. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff, and thanks, Ward. It's great to talk to you. And thanks for being part of this evening. I, I leave reju- I, I leave the evening rejuvenated. I'm ready to go back to the Pentagon. <laughs> Well, good luck, Adam. Appreciate it. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Naval Institute Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.